This is Three Interesting Things. Hello and welcome to Three Interesting Things, a weekly podcast where we discuss the three most interesting things on the internet this week. I am your host, Don Grant. Joining me today, journalist for The Huffington Post, covering the intersection of culture and politics. Joining me from NYC, Marina Fang. How are you doing, Marina? Hi. It's great to be here. I love the Oscars, so. Well, that's exactly, that's why, that's why we're talking today. We're talking the Oscars. Now, interestingly enough, you, when you started your career, were focusing more on political reporting, no? Yes, that is correct. And now you've been drawn a little bit more towards the entertainment side of things? Not drawn toward. I mean, I've always been interested in culture. I was a huge movie buff starting in probably around middle school. Right. I feel like everyone has that story of like watching a lot of movies as a teen. But yeah, I started in politics. I worked in DC for a long time, but I always had kind of culture in the background. And as I started covering politics more, I also wanted to try to incorporate culture into that coverage. And I figured the best way to do that is to look at them as intertwined because they are. I mean, politics is cultural and culture is political and it's always been that way. But I mean, especially, I mean, if you know anything about American politics for the last couple of years, it's really become pretty impossible to talk about politics without talking about the larger cultural context. I was going to say, thanks to your former president, the the line between those two things has never been thinner. Exactly. And and not just because of the fact that he was somebody who who marketed himself as a cultural figure more than a political figure. And like that was kind of his selling point. But also one of his biggest uh, sort of go-to moves was to stoke a culture war about this, that, and the other thing about Colin Kaepernick or about whatever. And consequently, that line between culture and politics, he was totally fine to take that line and trample it into dust because nine times out of ten, it served him very well. Yeah, it worked. I mean, this has always been going on, the the kind of the culture war aspect of politics certainly has been a big part of the Republican Party for a long time. But it I mean, he really just took that and ran with it. The the gasoline has been poured onto the fire over the last five years. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out now that he no longer has a large megaphone. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out with the people who succeed him and also people on the left who have probably learned a few lessons in terms of motivating the base. One thing I'm really interested in as as a reporter is seeing what happens now that Biden is president. Does Hollywood respond differently than they did when Trump was president? How does right. how does the political landscape kind of affect what culture comes out of this, you know, this moment? And of course, one of those cultural things is the Oscars, which is what you are here to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Oscar nominations as they came out, because there is much to talk about, surprisingly enough. Uh, There are, uh, I mean, this show is designed around three interesting things. And so we're going to keep it as three interesting things, even though those three things are going to kind of step on each other's toes. Starting with thing number one. Thing one. Thing number one, apparently the Oscars are still happening. (laughs) Uh, I am only being semi-facetious about that. I think a lot of people who might not necessarily be in the know would have wondered if the Oscars were still going on this year because... 
there's been some other stuff going on in the world that might have superseded the Oscars or any kind of glorious entertainment moments like this, but the Oscars are still going on. Yeah, we're still somehow more than a month out from the Oscars. It's it's so strange to be talking about the Oscars in, in March because... Isn't it? Isn't it weird? Yeah, because we're so used to... For, for listeners who, who may not know, the awards season calendar just completely shifted this year because of the pandemic. So everything is now at least... I guess a month and a half to two months later. Yeah, the Oscars are usually like the first month in March, right? That's usually when they would be. Yeah, either last week of February, first week of March. And I'm old enough to remember, I'm actually a bit older than you, I'm old enough to remember they used to be the very first week of February. Uh, so they And they bumped it back a little bit. I think it was about 10, 15 years ago they bumped it back to March. And of course now because of the pandemic, they're taking place on April 25th. Yeah, and the nominations usually come out in January. So it's weird to be talking about them in March. Yeah, isn't that strange? Yeah. Well, and, and so let's talk about that. One of the main things to talk about is the fact that there's going to be a lot of stuff different about the Oscars this particular year. And one of them you just touched on is the fact that they are taking place so late. And because of the fact that they are taking place so late, there are two main things in terms of qualifications that have changed this year. The first is that films did not have to be released in the theaters. As many people know, when it comes to Oscars uh, up until this year have always, always, always had to have a theatrical run in order to be considered for an Oscar. And now, of course, that is no longer the case because, hey, theaters were closed for a good portion of last year. Right. So it used to be that, I mean, of course, you know, Netflix and Amazon and a lot of the streaming platforms would release movies to qualify for the Oscars, but they also had to be released in theaters at some point. Right. And now they've, at least temporarily for this year, they've they've eliminated that requirement. And then I guess you were probably going to touch on this, but the other thing is that the calendar shifted so that the eligibility deadline, I think was the, I think was sometime in February. Yeah, February 28th. Look at that. We, yeah. we made a good team. That's exactly what I was going to touch on. So yeah, the other thing is that they would normally have had to have been released before January 1st, but right. now any film that was released between January 1st, 2020, up until February 28th, so up until just, you know, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, will be considered. And that has included and, and brought in, when we get to the nominees and thing number two, a number of films that otherwise might have been a little bit left out yeah which is a good thing yeah i think so um so there's a lot of changes that are going on i mean obviously if you've watched any of the other awards ceremonies that have happened this year we had the golden globes recently we had the grammys recently there have been a lot of changes and the oscars are not going to be immune from that as well do you know what some of the changes are going to be yeah i I think in terms of the latest developments, I saw a story yesterday from Variety saying they will have the ceremony at the Dolby Theater in LA, but they'll restrict it to just the nominees, their guests, and the presenters. That's been kind of the way that a lot of these award shows have gone. They've tried to have a small in-person portion, and then you know most of it is is virtual, which has, if any of you have watched some of these other award shows, you probably know that it's been kind of a rocky road to getting these produced. And then, you know, of course, there's been a lot of technical snafus. Right. 
It's been a weird vibe, hasn't it? I remember yeah. watching the Emmys, which was very, you know, that Emmys was kind of, you know, that was in what September, October. It was kind of the first big virtual awards ceremony that we had. Yeah, Jimmy I Kimmel. liked that, and it was did weird. Did you like that? I like I did I did too. Like I didn't I didn't dislike it, but it was just so odd. Yeah, for sure. And actually, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, we were just watching. My daughter was watching the Grammys the other day, and that was kind of interesting too. I don't know if you watched any of the uh, any of the Grammys. It was like this outdoor cafe style thing that they had going on. <laughs> in front of the Staples Center so that it was, you know, open air and people were sitting at these little sort of tables and it was a very different vibe. Yeah, I didn't watch them, but it, it sounds like they were a little bit better than the Golden Globes, which were kind of just a mess, honestly. Well, the Golden Globes, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Golden Globes when we get into thing yeah. number two, because there's there's much to talk about when it comes to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. But the Golden Globes, of course, they had Tina Fey and Amy Poehler on two different sides of the country co-hosting, which actually kind of was interesting when they had the split screen, yeah. uh, making it look like they were relatively together. In fact, they did that so effectively that my wife was uh, not sure that they weren't in the same room until they did the whole sort of, you know, <laughs> hand out deliberately, yeah. not, not touching each other thing. Um, um, which was kind of clever. But as you said, they are going to be held at the Dolby Theater. The other thing is that they're going to spread the ceremony between the Dolby Theater and Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But the other major change, as you said, which I think a lot of the members are a little bit bummed about, is that, and I'm just going to read directly from the Academy President, David Rubin, who said, quote, this year, those attending the awards in person will be nominees, their guests, and presenters, period. Now, that obviously means only those people, and consequently, there is not going to be the normal member ticket lottery. They're also going to cancel any in-person events like the Oscars nominee luncheon that precedes the show by a couple of weeks, the governor's ball, all that stuff's gone. Yeah. And a lot of these kinds of, you know, if anyone knows and follows the whole Oscar season rigmarole, you know that there's a lot of these events where you have to hobnob with, you know, the stars, hobnob with Academy members. That's a huge part of this right. I mean, the whole the whole kind of award season thing is like this industrial complex of event <laughs> after event after event. You got to go to like every fancy breakfast or dinner and go to like an exclusive screening of the movie. That's kind of how they get you. You know, if you're an Academy member, that's kind of how they get you in the door. Wait, wait, Marina, are you telling me that the awards are not given out based solely on merit? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because, like, the thing that has always fascinated me about the Oscars is that the awards campaigns are very much like political campaigns. Very much so. So, much yeah, so. so much so that there are even, you know, people who've worked in politics cross over to Hollywood and they start working on some of these campaigns. But back to the whole pandemic, that has really changed how these events go because now they're all virtual. A lot of these screenings are virtual. A lot of these awards, breakfast, dinners have now become these virtual events. And I, I keep wondering if it's a good thing that maybe the industrial complex of award season is much smaller now, because I, a lot of people have criticized them, rightly so, as being pretty excessive and yeah. unnecessary and pretty wasteful a lot of the time. But I mean, ultimately, it still comes down to Hollywood's bottom line. And most likely, it'll just be kind of the same campaigning, but just, you know, in a virtual 
format. And actually, we're, we're going to talk about the bottom line aspect of it when we get to thing number two, because when it comes to the act of giving out the Oscars, there are so many mouths to feed, right? There are so many tentacles to that in terms of who has to be honored. The, you know, the ceremony itself has to be highly rated. They have to bring in money for the films themselves. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, one of the other things that's going to be different, as, as you just alluded to, is that some of the presenters and nominees will be streaming from multiple locations. I just mentioned Union Station is going to be one of them. We don't know what some of the others will be but i guess if you've watched any award ceremony over the last couple of months you you kind of know how this works if you've seen uh jason sudeikis accepting his award for ted lasso when he was uh, <laughs> that the high as a kite from what i could tell it is it is sweatshirt you know that people are just going to be you know sitting at home doing whatever get, uh, winning their academy awards which gives it its own sense of interest for sure yeah i i will say i have enjoyed being able to see the celebrities at home. Yeah. Although I think that was more so with the Emmys. I noticed with the Golden Globes, many of them looked like they were, they like booked a hotel suite just to yeah, for be sure. there for the for the show so that they wouldn't have to do it from their homes. But there is this kind of voyeurism to it of like, oh, that's in their home and they're with their family. And some of that can be amusing, but some of it I think, especially now that we're so many months into... I don't know how many months time is a flat circle now, but <laughs> the fact that we're so far into this and we've had so many virtual award ceremonies, I wonder if there's a level of fatigue there too. I definitely felt it during the Golden Globes. I definitely felt like in contrast to the Emmys, which were earlier on, and there was still this kind of fascination around virtual award ceremonies, the Golden Globes definitely felt like we we maybe we may have reached a limit. <laughs> well, the Oscars have always been kind of that end point, right? They've always been the period on the end of the sentence when it comes to award season. Yeah, and they've always sort of advertised themselves as you know the the big the big the big, the big one. one. Yeah, the big one, the serious yeah. one. The Golden Globes are the kind of quirky drunk <laughs> yes. version of the Oscars, <laughs> right? So the Oscars always kind of advertise themselves as the the main event and so i wonder if they're gonna try and maybe do something a little bit different figure out some new tricks that we haven't seen from from other award ceremonies i hope at the very least the producers are watching some of these award ceremonies and trying to learn from them because i got the impression that again to go back to the golden globes which i think most of us i think we can agree weren't didn't go super smoothly. It, it, I think in part what was so frustrating about watching them was that they had so much time to prepare. They weren't the first ones out of the gate. Yeah, it's true. And there have, there have been so many other virtual events, not just award shows, but just, you know, other big virtual events in culture since the Emmys. And it was like, okay, I guess you didn't pay attention to any of them. And then, so I do wonder what the Oscars are going to take away from all of the other virtual award shows that have come before and then figure out what's something new that we can do, what's something unique, what's something that, you know, screams Oscar that we can do. Um, a couple of other minor changes that are going to be going on for this year's uh, Academy Awards. There is, it's, they're still going to be doing the same uh, runtime for acceptance speeches, trying to cut people off. I, th I found that interesting when it came to the Golden Globes about, you know, how do you cut someone off when they're sitting in the middle of their living room, which we found out with Jason Sudeikis. Um, the uh, other thing is that there's a, yet again, no host. I'm going to assume, even though you and I haven't talked about it, that you and I are both oscar watchers relatively regular oscar watchers oh yeah i am too and uh, so give me your feedback i 
kind of like no host. Yeah, I go back and forth on this. I mean, this is a this is a big big topic. I think it comes up every year, every award season. It does come up every year. One of the things, and so I, I was talking to my mom about this a, a while ago. Why would anyone want that gig? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know why anybody would want that gig. It is such a thankless task. Exactly. I mean, and, and I, I, I'm sure that's part of why Jimmy Kimmel has done it for several years in a row. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's on ABC. He's part of, you know, the ABC family. I mean, the problem with an Oscar host is that if you are an Oscar watcher, everybody knows that the very next day, you know, you go on Twitter, you go on whatever. And it's this is why blank sucked as an oscar host right and it doesn't it like fill in the name of the blank it doesn't you could hire you know it doesn't matter who people are going to pick that person apart i i'm one of the few people who thought when steve martin hosted it about 15 years ago that he did a great job i thought you know no one talks about steve martin as an oscar host he did really well that year yeah then they always sort of go back to kind of the tried and true hosts like steve martin will be goldberg hosted for a number of years Billy Crystal, yeah. basically anytime they're kind of in a jam and like can't find someone, they usually go to one of them. And it, it usually works out pretty well. Thing two. Thing number two. The nominees this year are the most diverse that we have seen in the history of the Academy Awards. Actually, you know what? Screw it. This is going to be thing number three, too. So I'm going to put the thing number three stinger in there. Thing three. Thing number three as well is that we finally have more than one female director nominee. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, what a concept. Yeah, welcome to 1923. Uh, so <laughs> there is a lot to break down when it comes to this year's Oscar nominees. Uh, where do you want to start? I mean, the, the main thing that we can talk about is the fact that it is by far the most diverse list of nominees that we have had in the Oscars ever in history. I think it's the first time I think in history that a majority of the actors nominated are non-white. Not quite a majority, but almost nine out of. Well, sorry, I meant sorry, I meant the male actors, the actors. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's nine out of twenty are non-white in terms of the entire. Wow, that's fantastic. Right. You know, with the diversity of the acting nominees and then the fact that finally we have more than one woman nominated for best director in the same year. On the one hand, I'm, I'm of two minds about it, right? Like, on the one hand, it's so great that we're seeing that. But on the other hand, it's like, it's 2021. The Oscars yeah. have been around for 93 years. And this is way overdue, especially given Oscar's so white and just all of the the criticism and the the public pressure that has been on the Academy for a long time that it took this long to get here is is pretty appalling but yeah it's also again it's it, it is also really thrilling but no you're right it is it's kind of that double-edged sword it's exactly really, yeah it, it reminds me a little bit i was having a conversation with my daughter on it was just recently international women's day and i have a little bit of a kind of the same feeling about international women's day in the sense that it's a great thing that we you know it leads to a lot of very good valuable conversations but at the same time there's this part of me that says hey let's take a majority of the population of the planet and say here's your day here's one day here's one you. day for you enjoy this have a good day you know what i mean like it just right. seems so condescending to me to have that but at the same time i know that it brings out a lot of good conversations anyway that's a topic for another podcast altogether um one of the things that uh, i was stunned by is that Stephen Yuen, who was nominated for Minari, is the first Asian American ever nominated for a Best Actor Oscar. I can't believe that. Yeah. Like I said, 93 years. How is that even possible? There have been other actors of Asian descent, not that many, but a couple. Um, in terms of Asian actors, there's been a lot of exclusion historically 
just, you know, tied to bigger forces of, you know, racism and discrimination and xenophobia and a lot of the same things we are seeing, unfortunately, with the wave of anti-Asian racism right now. Yeah. Um, So a lot of that is historical. But in terms of the Oscars specifically, there have been many or there have been a couple of years where, for example, a movie with an Asian cast has won Best Picture but the actors were not nominated. This happened last year with Parasite. Yeah, so Parasite gets all the accolades, and Parasite quite actually deservedly wins Best Picture last year. But lo and behold, there's, I, I don't think, were any of them nominated? I know none of them won. No, none, none of them None of them nominated. was even nominated. And, yeah, and that's... There, there's, there's a period of time where it seemed like maybe um, Song Kang-ho, who plays the father, oh, the, he was you know, so the patron, good. he's incredible. He was there, so there, was a while, there was a period of time where it seemed like maybe he would get a nomination just as, you know, the patriarch of the family and... That unfortunately didn't happen, but I remember being like, okay, that would be really great if at least one of these actors got nominated. But of course, this year you had uh, Stephen Yun. You also had Yoo Jung Yoon from Minari, who played the grandmother, who was, I mean, yeah. she's a legend in South Korea. Uh, and she got nominated for it. She was, have you seen Minari, by the way? Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's... She, she's amazing in that film. And I kind of hope she wins just looking at this list of nominees. Uh, what were the other things that stu- stuck out to you when looking at the at the surprisingly diverse list of nominees this year? Well, we had um, six Black actors nominated, which is a record. Right. I think overall what I appreciated, not just about the nominees, but I think just about the, the kind of the slate of movies in general, is that a lot of these performances, a lot of these films, they don't make the character's racial identity the main plot point. I think we've seen that, unfortunately, a lot in the past. Right. You mentioned that in your piece, and I thought it was a really good point, that the people are not nominated for being Black or for being Asian or for being whatever. They're nominated for a good performance in a film. Yeah. And, and their their background and their race just happens to be secondary to the nomination. Exactly. And and to the film and, and the plot, because I unfortunately, we've seen in the past, we've seen so many movies where it's, you know, an actor gets nominated for playing a stereotype or, you know, the movie makes race and identity the only thing about the character or the only thing about the the plot or the storyline. Right. I was surprised how little that was a part of Minari. I mean, obviously, Minari is about this, you know, Asian family trying to make it in the 80s in the Tennessee. Arkansas. In Arkansas. But at the same time, that was not like, you know, you were expecting if this is typical Oscar bait for them to be, you know, the subject of cliche racism scenes where you sit there and clutch at your pearls saying, oh, that poor family. But it didn't play out that way. It was just it was a story about a family. What it does really well, and I think what, you know, great movies should do and great art should do is it takes this very specific story and makes it also universal in a lot of ways. I, I always think it's fascinating that the very first actor of Asian descent who ever won an acting award was... Sir Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley, which a lot of people do not even know that he is partially, he's of Indian descent. And a lot of people are still like, wait, Ben Kingsley is a... Yeah, I think he's a quarter South Asian. And and that's an example of where, you know, he won for playing Gandhi. And that's like a very, exactly. that's a very typical Oscar performance. He's playing a famous historical figure in a biopic. And I mean, we do have a couple of those this year, but it definitely seems like we're moving away from that a little bit at the Oscars. I mean, even last year, 
appallingly last year there was only one actor of color nominated and it was Cynthia Erivo for playing Harriet Tubman yeah which just felt like and she's she's incredible but it just felt like it was it felt like kind of a slap in the face because it was sort of reinforcing a lot of these tropes that we've seen at the Oscars for a long time and this was after you know the Oscars had started to make you know it was in 2015 and 2016 two years in a row that every single acting nominee was white and that started the Oscar yeah. so white campaign and to give them their due the Academy has actually taken steps right I mean the, this we're starting to see it play out a little bit now but they're they're not just paying lip service to it obviously more can be done but at the same time you know you look at what happened to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association this year and you know <laughs> they they've had a hell of a year in fact even just I think it was today or yesterday they received a letter from over a hundred PR firms warning them that they will be cut off unless there's a transformational change in the Hollywood Foreign Press. It feels like every day there's a new development. Well, it's always been, everybody has always known that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is the, the I guess, the entertainment equivalent of Spectre from James Bond, right? No one quite <laughs> right. knows who the hell they are, where they are, what they do, how they operate. It's this shadowy organization that sits in the back with cigars and martinis and no one knows what they do. Yeah, I mean, every year the Golden Globes, you, you sort of come to expect that they're going to make some pretty head-scratching, idiosyncratic <laughs> choices. And there, there has always been this impression that you, if you want a Golden Globe, you, there's some bribery involved or there's some kind of right. shadowy stuff going on in the background. And yeah, that was confirmed by this really massive LA Times investigation that showed that there is indeed a lot of corruption within this organization. And then the very appalling fact that there are no Black members and pretty few members of color. On the plus side with the Cynthia Revo thing for her nomination last year, we did get to see her blow the roof off of that place oh my God, when yes. she sang that damn song. Oh my God. I, I probably watch that once a month. I go back and watch. Have you watched that since she sang it? No, I actually... Okay, after we log off today, go go watch it again. I it will. Is, it will give you a chance. Now that you've reminded me of that, I will. But yeah, she's she's incredible. I She was the only person who color nominated last year in the acting nominees, and it was for that performance in that film which just again like it just reinforces a lot of what we've seen from the academy which is you only nominate an actor of color when they're playing you know a historical figure or playing some kind of role where like their race factors very heavily into the story or or if they are physically challenged or mentally challenged or you know that kind of right thing. or you know if they're experiencing right. racism or discrimination in the movie yeah. and that's the only thing that happens to them or and, and this 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 is is a thing we see with other identities as well like with lgbtq identity we often see movies I, I again i think this is changing for the better but for a long time it was if you made a movie about queer people it was always about aids right. or about coming out or about experiencing homophobia and again i think we're seeing there there are a whole lot more stories now where a gay character yeah. just gets to exist and and be a lot of things and and that's great but there you know we need we need more of that and there's definitely more work to be done on that front you also alluded earlier to the fact that riz ahmed was nominated for Best Actor for Sound of Metal, and that makes history as well as the, I couldn't believe this, the first Muslim actor ever nominated for Best Actor. Again, one of just a handful. He's um, he's British, Pakistani, and he, so that makes him one of the, one of a handful of 
actors of Asian des- descent to get nominated there. I don't know if you've seen Sound of Metal, but I have not seen it. Now, now here's the crazy thing, and, and this will I'll lead this into a conversation about the next thing, which is that I had never even heard of it. Really, I had never even heard of the film, and I yes, and I am somebody who is up on my films, and this I guess leads to the next thing which which I was going to say, which is this: I, I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me whether you not you think I'm crazy. When you look at the slate of nominees this year, when you look at how diverse it is, and when you look at the progress that has been made, I can't help but wonder if the pandemic has played a role in that in the sense that because so many films, big sort of Oscar bait films, tentpole films, big studio films were not released, it was kind of like there was more room to breathe for some of these smaller films like Sound of Metal, these smaller films like Minari. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that nobody's seen most of these films. Nobody's gone to actually see them. But at the same time, a film like Minari is such a small, quiet film that it, in a typical year, you could see it being stomped all over by some of these bigger films. Do you see what I mean by that? Yeah. And even Nomadland, which is, I, I think we can agree, is probably the front runner right, right now in terms of best picture and also best director. It is, for sure. Even that is is a much smaller movie than, I mean, it is released by Searchlight, which is a you know indie studio, but and it's available on Hulu, so it is sort of more widely available. I should say, though, Sound of Metal is on Amazon, so people can stream it at home. Is it on Amazon right now? Yeah. Oh, I might watch it tonight. But it's... This is something I've been thinking about a lot, and I'm trying to, as a reporter, I've been trying to kind of suss this out because, yeah, what you're, the question that you're raising is like, is it because of the pandemic? I think to some degree it is, but also some of these films were already going to be released anyway. One of the things I've seen people say is like, because of the pandemic, this is why we've seen so many streaming movies become Oscar contenders. But that was already happening before the pandemic. Certainly the pandemic may have accelerated that, but you know, Netflix and Amazon, they've been really trying to kind of become more dominant, especially Netflix in the Oscar race. And that I don't think was necessarily because of the pandemic, because there were even before the pandemic, there were, you know, Netflix was investing a lot in Oscar campaigns. No, I guess what I'm positing is is the idea that if it weren't for the pandemic, the raft of nominees that we saw would not be as diverse because a lot of these films that featured them would not have been given this, the space to breathe or the attention that they are now being given. Uh, do you think there's some truth to that or no? Please feel free to say no. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think it's a hard question. Yeah, it is hard to, you know, because we can't I mean, we can't go back to the before times and figure that out, you know? Like, does Riz Ahmed get nominated for Sound of Metal for a film that's streaming on Amazon Prime for an Oscar, for a Best Actor Oscar in a typical year in which a whole bunch of other films have been coming out in the theaters? I can't see it happening. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, actually. Right. But I just can't see that happening in a year where you'll have a typical whole bunch of, you know, Oscar bait, the kind that you were describing, where somebody's playing, you know, a historical figure where you have Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill or you have Jamie Foxx playing Ray Charles. Or, you know, the, the usual stuff that you get, those are the ones who are going to crave all the oxygen in the room and you don't get the people like Rizomad. you don't get the people like yeah but some of that was changing a little bit i mean we were talking about the changes in the academy before i mean the academy the membership has become a lot more diverse that's that i think i think we are really seeing the effects of that this year and i think that would have happened even you know without the pandemic but yeah i it's hard to tell what is because of the pandemic and what is not and what would have happened 
either way and what would have what what has kind of been excel what was already happening and then is now being accelerated right. by the pandemic and all of you know the weirdness that's happened because of it i think a lot of people who don't necessarily understand how academy voting works might be under the mistaken uh, illusion that what's happening is the academy is responding to oscar so white and responding to the hfpa scandal etc by nominating more people of color by nominating more people like that but that's not the way it's working and what's happening is the people People who are doing the nominating and doing the voting are a larger proportion of people of color, a larger, like there's more diversity yeah. in that group. So it's not just a bunch of white guys sitting around saying, we need more black people. It's That's not the way it's working. Right. It's inviting more people of color. It's inviting more, it's younger people as well. And I think right. that, that also contributes to the wider range of films you see as well, because I think younger people are probably more willing to embrace the kind of less quote-unquote traditional studio blockbuster kind of movies and and I think that's part of it too they're probably going to appreciate something like Sound of Metal which is a lot less conventional in terms of its filmmaking but of course here is the downside to all of this is that the the leader for the most nominated film of the year is Mank it has 10 nominations aside from that you also for the rest of the best picture category you have uh only a single film from one of Hollywood's major studios which was Judas and the Black Messiah from Warner Brothers which by the way is one of the films that not that benefited from having that extra two months in 2021 to be able to actually get there right all of them together, in terms of the nominees, have a collective box office gross of, as of today, of $14 million within North America. <laughs> wow. I know. Man, I forgot about box office numbers. Well, that's, just, uh, well, yeah, I know. Box office numbers is weird. It's one of those things that, like, oh, yeah, I guess that used to be a thing that we looked at. Well, it's funny. It's weird for me because, I, like, I know you're you're there in New York where you actually have open movie theaters. Our movie theaters here in Toronto and in Ontario have been closed since, like, 1963, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, although in New York, they just open like like a week or two ago so it's it's been very you know compared to most parts of the country new york has been fortunately i think a little bit slower at reopening things well the the point ultimately that i was getting to is like you know good luck getting people to watch the telecast on the 25th yeah. of april because here you have all of these films that have grossed you know 14 million that's a big open question right now that's a huge open question and and it it sort of goes down to you know yet you, you have to sort of pay the piper when it comes to the oscars telecast there's a there's a, there's a reason why why the Oscars where Titanic won was one of the highest rated ever because it was a film that everybody had seen that a lot of people, not like you or I who are sort of film nerds, but who are just sort of more casual film that, that you know, they're not going to watch the Oscars every year, but they might watch, oh, that Titanic movie got nominated. I'm going to watch it now. But there's not a lot of people who have seen, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah who are going to watch the Oscars because they want to see it take home the gold. Yeah, but again, this is something where it's been happening for a while that, you know, the ratings have gone down. For sure. I mean, just, you know, entertainment is just so much more splintered now because you have so many things to watch and people don't really watch live TV anymore. These kinds of big events like the Oscars just inevitably are going to draw fewer eyeballs because, I mean, you can also watch them the next day. You can watch a clip of them on Twitter and there's just... There, there's just so much that's competing for your attention. But yeah, I mean, this year, especially, it feels like what's what's going to happen because, yeah, as you said, a lot of these movies people probably haven't seen. But I would also counter by saying that, and this is something I, I'm still sort of trying to figure out too, is part of me, the kind of cautiously optimistic part of me thinks that, I, I mean, I do like that you can watch these movies 
on demand, or you can watch these movies right. on streaming. Some of these movies were already going to be on streaming. Some, for example, like Nomadland, they decided um, Hulu is you know part of the whole parent Disney parent conglomerate um, that also owns Searchlight, and they decided to put Nomadland on Hulu so that people could watch it. And so I do appreciate that these movies, at least in theory, are more accessible to people now. Yeah, you have to wonder if the, normally when the nominations come out, a lot of people are like, oh, I haven't seen that. Let's you and I have a date night and go out and see it. And now it's, oh, you and I haven't seen you know, Sound of Metal. My wife and I can watch that tonight, you know, without. So who knows? Maybe it'll actually cause a boost. And I'm sure we're probably going to see the the numbers for this if netflix ever releases numbers which they never do um that that there might be a boost in a lot of these films streaming revenue uh, because of the nominations who knows maybe they'll you know they'll they'll see that yeah and then back to being a movie buff i remember when i was growing up i I grew up in the suburbs of pittsburgh and every year i'd be like oh i can't see some of these movies because they're not you know they're only available in New York or LA and right, especially right. some of these smaller indies and the international films they're often very hard to find if you're not in a major metropolitan area and i do hope that you know whatever happens from this year whether it's hollywood or just arts and culture at large people figure out how to take some of the lessons from the pandemic of making things more accessible and trying to, you know, carry them over in whatever way they can in the future. One of the things I think is going to be interesting to watch, not in an Oscar setting, but in a post-pandemic setting, is what happens to cinema's exclusive windows to films, yep. right? Because that's, that yeah. we talked about lines being blurred at the top of the show, but that's one, you know, you look at a specific example of a film like Raya and the Last Dragon, the cinemas wanted their exclusive window for that film and Disney said, no, you're not going to get it. And the cinema said, then we're not going to run it in the theaters. And Disney said, fine. And that's a weird place to be for Disney, which has poured tons of money into this film to actually say no to the theaters. Right. And then, of course, you know, HBO, Max, or, you know, Warner Brothers, you mentioned Judas and the Black Messiah. You know, you can watch that on HBO Max, and they're doing that with every single Warner Brothers release. Every this year. film this yeah. year, that's right, without consulting the people involved in the films. But that's another matter. Certain big directors were pretty pissed about that. Who, who was who was the big one? It was 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 it Nolan? It wasn't Nolan. Christopher, Christopher Nolan, Nolan was yeah. super pissed, right? Yeah. Finishing off, before the Oscar nominations were announced last week, there had been in the ninety-plus year history of the Academy Awards only. Five, count them, five women ever nominated for Best Director. Only one of them had won. Uh, That was Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. But of course, this year we had two women nominees in the same year. What is going on? Wow, what a concept. (laughs) More than one woman directed a great film. (laughs) Who would have thought? Uh, and so you have uh, Chloe Zhao, who's nominated for Nomadland, who I think you and I can probably agree is maybe the front runner to win this thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. And you also had Emerald Fennell for um, A Promising Young Woman, which I still haven't seen. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. It's good. It's good. I really liked it. I, I have some, not issues with it, but I, it's it's a movie that is... I was trying. I was really trying to figure out what it was trying to say, and it gives a lot of, I guess, room for interpretation. Maybe too much. Um, Emerald Fennell, who's the director, I think Fennell. I kept saying Emerald Fennell, and then I kept hearing Emerald Fennell. So it might be Emerald. <laughs> we're, we're both foodies. We're thinking about Fennell. 
apologies <laughs> to Emerald Fennell if we're saying her last name wrong. People may have heard her heard of her because she also plays Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown. Does she really? I did and, not know that. Yeah, she's she's great. I mean, everyone on that show is great. But yeah, she plays um, Camilla Parker Bowles. She also was the showrunner for Killing Eve, right. I think the second season. So yeah, she's just had an, a really fantastic career and yeah and this is such an exciting this is her first film it's her feature film debut and it's such an exciting debut like i said it's just really bold filmmaking yeah i'm excited for her and of course excited for for chloe jock because she's i i think no man land is probably my favorite movie of the year even more than minari really it's close it's close i mean maybe both you know tied for first okay i'm gonna end you off with a little bit of trivia i'm gonna put you on the spot you ready okay Let's go. Okay, so Mank, as we talked about, is the leader with 10 nominations. Why can I, by the way, why can they foresee a situation kind of like The Color Purple where it's leading the nominations and doesn't win a single one? You know what I mean? I can see one of those situations happening. Yeah, I wonder if it's, well, one, I mean, it's one of those, again, quote unquote, traditional. It's a, it's a movie about movies, right? They love movies Right, it's about a movie about movies. movies, about a historical figure. Right, black and white, beautiful yeah, cinematography, they love that. Okay, so it is it is the leading candidate, and it's in black and white. In the last 60 years, only one other film has been the leading candidate for the Academy Awards in black and white. What is it? It's The Artist, right? It is not The Artist. The Artist did not lead that year. Oh, oh, le- oh right, lead it. In other words, have the most nominations of any film for that particular year. I'm asking the listener, too. The listener might be sitting at home saying, oh. So a film that has the leading number of nominations for the Academy Awards, obviously in the sort of, you know, modern color era, only one other film in the last 60 years has led. When I tell you, you'll be like, duh. Was it The Apartment? Schindler's List. Oh! Schindler's List. That will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much, Marina, for being on the show. Do you have any socials that you would like people to follow? Sure. I'm on Twitter, at Marina Fang. Pretty easy to remember. You know, the, the other thing, by the way, for you and I are both sort of Oscar people, one of the things they did that I'm sure you're going to be ticked off with as well is that they took the uh, sound editing and sound design categories and lumped them into one category. And that means there's one less category with which to bump up your lead in your Oscar pool. <laughs> to be fair, though, I feel like those that's the that's the place that everyone gets stumped on in their, yeah. their Oscar Everyone's pool. sitting at the party going, what, what's the difference between Yeah, I feel like things? that's one of those things. Even as a movie buff, every year I have to like refresh my memory of like okay what is sound editing what is sound mixing and then i imagine there are probably academy members who probably don't if they don't work in sound or if they don't work on kind of the craft technical side they may not even know either so how about this uh, the last week of april first week of may if you're interested maybe you can pop back by and we, you and i can go over the winners and chat about what went down during the ceremony would you like to do that oh i would love to yeah fantastic it feels like forever from now though oh th- listen that'll feel yeah that'll be like in 10 years but right you know, as you say time is a flat circle yeah <laughs> thanks for being on this show yeah thanks for having me it was fun hey what's the most interesting thing you've seen on the internet this week fact article something else we want it Email us at threeinterestingthings at gmail.com. Follow our Instagram at three, that's the number three interesting things, or tweet it to us at three interesting. You'll get a shout out on the show. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you next week.